0: good morning man it's good to gather with you i love praising god together taking communion worshiping him and looking at his word Uh, what god has said is so special because it's a gift to us and the gift that he's given us in understanding the truth uh, sets people free and i'm so grateful for his truth I'm going to pray. You see, I'm using a handheld mic. Uh, that's because my headset broke. Yeah, no, that's how I felt. Exactly. I was the, oh, if you didn't hear that online, it was a very big, oh. yeah, no, that's how I felt. And, um, but you know, that's okay because uh, God can work through any means, and I can just hold this mic up here to my chin the whole time, and, uh, which is great. Uh, but, I, I mentioned that to say, I'm going to pray because I, this has not been a wonderful week for me, and I feel like I'm just, I'm just kind of off, and whenever that happens, uh, God really pulls through, but it's really through the prayers of His people. And so, I want to ask you a couple questions. Are you hungry to learn from the Holy Spirit what He means in His Word? Right? Right? Let's pray to that end. Let's pray right now that God would speak to us because it's nothing a man can do, it's nothing a preacher can do. If God ever speaks to your hearts, it is a personal gift from Him to you. That's His way of saying, I love you, and I'm trying to speak to you. That's not Pastor Jack. I can't do that. And so, um, and I feel like I really can't do that on some days, and today's one of those days. So, I'm going to pray, and I believe if our hearts are in one accord, praying for God to speak to us through his word. Uh, I really believe he'll do that because of who he is and uh, what he says. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're here to gather for you. We love you so much. And we know we only love you because you first loved us. And your word is, uh, is different than any other word. There's nothing to compare it to. You're inspired inerrant word is uh, our authority. It's above us. We submit to it. We learn from you through it. It is your uh, inspired word, and so we pray with hungry hearts as your children. We love each other, and we love you, but we're ultimately here because of you, and so would you speak to us? Would you have mercy on me, and would you do something that we can't do without the power of your Spirit, which is open our hearts, open the eyes and ears of our hearts. Would you gift each one of us with understanding your Word through your Spirit? Would you come alongside it? Uh, We love you. We could sing to you for hours longer, but we pray that you teach us through your Word right now, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So... There was a little boy that got in trouble. Uh, he was sitting at his couch, and his parents were disciplining him, and it was in the afternoon. It was on a Sunday. And he was in big trouble because earlier that day, uh, he, after he got home from church, went into his dad's garage. Do you guys hear that? OK, good. No, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. Uh, <laughs> I could be hearing things right now, so I'm just making sure I'm not losing it up here. Uh, We all hear that, and that's great. Uh, Anyway, this boy got in trouble because earlier that day, he comes home from church, and he starts rumbling around through his dad's things in the garage, and uh, his dad goes and peeks in, and it looks like he's getting a table together. Uh, a table and some signs, and he's excited and he's just running through. And then, then he goes in the kitchen and starts making lemonade. And his mom starts watching him. And his, his mom and his dad figure out, ooh, I think little Eric is going to sell lemonade. He's just going to go out on the street. So even though in Kansas that's illegal without a permit or whatever, uh, which this boy didn't know that, uh, he goes out there. And he takes his lemonade and he takes his table and he goes out there and he's got a sign with him. And his parents are so proud until they get a phone call from a fellow neighbor friend. And the friend neighbor is like, you are not going to believe this. Your kid is asking people for money. And they're like, well, he's selling lemonade. Let's be understanding. No, no, no. That's, he's just making lemonade for him. He's not selling lemonade. He's asking people for money. Uh, saying that because he's a Christian, they need to support him. So his mom and dad (laughs) run out and go and get him and say, what what are you doing, Eric? This is crazy. They grab his table, they grab his stuff, and he's confused. They get home and they say, what were you doing? It's like, well, I was asking people for money. I I thought it's what we're supposed to do. And No, no, I mean, did you you get any money? I mean, that's not important, and it's, you know, but we just do want to know. Okay, okay. Why were you asking? Well, when we were at church today, those people went on stage. They called themselves Christian missionaries. They're just Christians. And they asked everybody for money, and people got pumped up, and they wanted to give them money. And I heard you and mom talking about money and about this is why we can't have toys and stuff. And so I just thought, I'm going to fix this right now, and I'm a Christian. (laughs) We can have money. And his parents are like, no, no, no. This is why you don't argue about money in front of kids. But no, no, no. That, that's, that's not what happened. Well, what did happen? Because all I saw, all I understood, was these people were just asking for money. And you know, the boy, the boy asked a really good question. A question that actually caught his parents off guard because there was a moment where they looked at each other and said, hmm, yeah, how is this different? Uh, not that they were trying to scam their neighborhood for money, but they just thought, yeah, let, let's, let's instruct our son. Because in church, it's a common uh, practice that we support missionaries. We support people that go for the sake of the gospel and other places. And, you know, we should ask ourselves is that what the Bible teaches us to do? Does the Bible actually tell us to support them like that, that they don't have to go work, that we support them, that their work is enough and we give them money? And and here's some good news. That is how God designed the church. And I want to share that with you today using the shortest letter in the whole New Testament. And if you would turn to 3 John, it's just one chapter, so we're just going to read verses 5 through 8, it's... My favorite missionary passage, because it's God's instruction and really a delight of how he instructs us to care for missionaries. Verse 5, dear friend, now this is the elder John writing to a guy named Gaius. It's just a cool name for back then. I'm sure none of you are named Gaius, but he's Gaius, and he was a strong believer in a local church that elder apostle John, who's pretty old at this time, over 80. If you're over 80, you're old. That's not a bad word. You're just old. You know, it's okay to say that. I remember when I was a kid, I used to thought 40 was old. So it was 40 years old, you're like, old. Now like, now, I'm close to 40, I'm like, 40's so young, so young. Old is 80 until I turn 80, and then I'll be like, 100 is so old. Uh, Anyway, John is old. He's, he, he's the, la- the last apostle, the last disciple. Uh, he, he's the oldest one. And this is when he is pretty old, when he writes this letter. And he's writing it to a guy named Gaius, but he intends for the whole church to read it, which you find out later in the letter. He says, "'Dear friend, you are acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they are strangers.'" They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Since they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from pagans. They accepted nothing from pagans. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. In this being the shortest letter from the Apostle John to an individual named Gaius that he intends for the church to read, John explains why it's part of God's design for you and me to lovingly support missions. It's not just an American thing. It's not a money thing. It's it's not a new thing. It's been this way since the beginning. And in this, John has, in these four verses, John has a very simple statement, support missionaries. And why? What I want to show you in these four verses is that John explains that our faithfulness, our love, and our mission as a church depend on it. They depend on our support of missions. So I want to show you point number one. Our faithfulness is measured by our generosity, not just our beliefs. One idea that's true and is commonly held in church is our faithfulness as a church family is based on our beliefs. If we have sound doctrine, if we teach what is true and we do it rightly according to the word, that, is, that measures our faithfulness. What's cool here is it's not just that. It's not just our beliefs. It's also our generosity. In verse 5, he says, he writes, Dear friend, you are acting faithful. And I'll try it again, and here's why. Uh, it's really great when we repeat Scripture together. It's a participation-type act. It's actually something they would do for thousands of years. The church has done this. So I don't want you to repeat after me a bunch of worldly sayings, but I love it when together we look at the Scripture because you cannot understand what the Bible says until you look at the words. It's not ideas. It's not thoughts. It's not feelings. It is God's inspired words. So I'm going to ask you to repeat words because... This outline is pretty tough. It, it takes you examining each word in this section to really get the, the main ideas that John is writing about that God wants for us as a church. So that's why I'm doing it, just FYI. So, dear friends, you're acting... Faithfully. faithfully. He uses that word because one of the subjects here is our faithfulness. You're acting faithfully in whatever you do for the brothers and sisters especially when they are strangers. Now, who are the brothers and sisters, right? It's not like they live in Kansas, although everyone is related for them too. Yeah, it's a small town. It's just like us. They're all related. But he's not talking about blood ties. He's not saying, hey, whatever you do, Gaius, for the brothers and sisters, he's not speaking of his literal brothers and sisters. He means fellow Christians. Whatever you do for them, you're acting faithfully especially when they are strangers. And that word for strangers just means they are not a part of your church family. One thing John did that we find out uh, in his letters and through church history, John, as an apostle, along with Paul, along with Peter and some of the others, they would raise up and train elders, those that are called to ministry, and they would send them out to certain places, and they would send them with letters and say, you can trust this guy, he's been vetted by the other elders. Because people in new towns wouldn't know who's trustworthy. It's not like the apostles were omnipresent. They couldn't be everywhere at one time, so they'd send letters. This is something John would do, and so he would send missionaries to Gaius, who's part of a local church. He would send them to Laodicea. You see that in his other letters. Paul would do the same things. So John is saying, listen, Gaius, I really appreciate that when I sent these missionaries, brothers and sisters, men and women that were co-workers of the gospel. And if you want to hear some of these names that Paul used, uh, men and women, you can look in Romans chapter 16. He calls them co-workers of the gospel. Uh, He also says it in Philippians chapter 4, if you read verses 1 through 5, he talks about two women who were co-workers with him in the gospel. So these are brothers and sisters that work alongside the elders, the apostles that help them in their mission of sharing the gospel with the world. Just like we here at church, we have missionaries. We have a lady that's over in the east. You know, uh, We've got different men and women that we call missionaries that are doing gospel work all throughout our world. We have local missionaries that we actually support that are doing work right here, trying to get the gospel out. So he's, John's telling them, You are acting faithfully, whatever you do for the brothers and sisters, especially when they're not from your church family. You're trusting my word, and you find out later in the letter, letter, there's one local church that did not accept John's recommendation of these missionaries, these men and women. So we're being faithful whenever we help brothers and sisters, and we find out later these are missionaries which you'll see in these verses it's very easy to clearly easy to see that and so our faithfulness is measured by our generosity not just our beliefs we as a church need to be understanding that our doctrine is of first importance but doctrine ought to compel us to act. We ought to have action behind it where we follow the word. We we not just know it in our brains because knowledge puffs up, but we actually live it out. We actually apply it. And so uh, our faithfulness is not just about what we think or what we know. It's about what we do. It's about part of our generosity. This year, during the month of January, we celebrated the habit of generosity. We talked about generosity within the church, and not just money, but we talked about generous with our lives and our time, being generous with God. And so we talked about generosity, and here's some of the verses that we focused on. Romans chapter 12, verse 13, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality, pursue it, make it a goal. Make it part of your efforts to be hospitable to the other saints, being other Christians, other brothers and sisters in Christ. In Titus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, diligently help Zenus the lawyer, because lawyers need help. And Apollos, there's nothing behind that. I can't believe you guys left. Anyway, diligently help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their journey so that they will lack nothing. Let our people Learn. You know, the church has to learn, even after they become Christians. Do you know that you became a Christian when you became a Christian? It wasn't like, I understand all things doctrinal. None of us do. We have to learn how to apply even the things we think we know. We have to learn how to actually do it, because sometimes we can have blind spots, we could be mistaken, we cannot understand what we're doing or why we're doing it, and so it takes hard work. It takes learning. Paul tells him, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works for pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So you see this principle in the scripture about being generous with one another, being generous with brothers and sisters for the sake of the gospel, for pressing needs. They have needs. They need us to come together to help them. And so our faithfulness is measured by our generosity, not just our beliefs. It is measured by our beliefs, but also by our generosity. The second point he makes, our love is measured by our actions, not just our words. Your love and my love will not just be judged based on what I say. It will also be based on what I do. Verse 6, he says, "...they have testified to your love before the church." you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. I'll read verse 6 again, and I'll have you participate. They have testified to your love love before the church. So John tells Gaius, hey, these missionaries that I've sent to you, that you have supported, because they're strangers, they're not from your church town, but you know that we've, we've vetted them, and they're good missionaries. The ones that you've supported, they've told us, hey, these people truly are loving. Now, we're not just basing our ideas on John the Elder or the Apostle. It's not that John is such a genius, he can tell us about love. This is God's inspired word. So notice what God is teaching us through John's letter. They have testified to your love before the church, meaning our love is not just measured by our words and what we say. It's measured by our actions, too. Our actions matter. And according to this verse, love is the issue that's tied to you guys were loving when you were supporting. That support that you gave was a demonstration of love. And then he gives the most diplomatic verse in the New Testament. You will do well. This is still verse 6. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Let me test you. Can you demand generosity? You can't. Because as soon as you require generosity, what does it become? Payment. It becomes a tax. If you read in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 8, chapters 8 and 9, you want to read them both together. It's about money. It's about giving money, actually, to missions. When you read those, one thing you learn from Paul is, You've got to do what you've set in your heart. It's got to be voluntary. It's got to be from you if you're going to be generous. Paul actually uses the word generous in his letter to the Corinthians. So John here is being very, very professional, very diplomatic. He doesn't say, hey, you better send them on a manner worthy of God. He doesn't say that because he, he's, inspired, he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, according to 2 Peter. He's being carried along. He tells them the right way to tell people about generosity. Listen, you don't have to do this, but you would do well. You would do well if you do this. I'm not making you do this. You do not have to give. You do not have to be generous, but you would do well if you do it. You see how God's heart is shining through this? You don't have to, uh, but you have to. That's, That's kind of the idea here. You will do well to send them on a journey in a manner worthy of God. And why does this old man, this old Jewish convert, John, say in a manner worthy of God? You know that phrase, in a manner worthy of God? We get that phrase? That's not exclusive here. That's used as their way of saying, and this is outside of the Bible too, and I know it's not all the same thing, so if you do a bunch of study using this phrase, I I know what you're talking about, but it's very similar. In a manner worthy of God means, hey, what if you were sending God on a mission? That's the idea. How how would you send God? Would you sit there and say, man, uh, what's the bare minimum? I mean, what is the lowest... Possible thing we could do. I mean, what's the least sacrificial, just the least thing we could do? You wouldn't feel that way if you were sending Jesus on a mission. If Jesus told you, I've got a mission and I'm going to save people, how many of you are close enough to Him that you would say, What do you need? You name it. You name the price. It doesn't matter how much the sacrifice is. You tell me what you need. You would give to your utmost. You would give out of a joyful, cheerful heart. It would not be a tax to you. No one's making you do it. You would volunteer. You'd say, how much do you need, Jesus? You just tell me because all this belongs to you, and I love you, and I believe you're going to change people's lives, and whatever you want to do, I want to be, if I could be a co-worker with the truth, sign me up. How can I help what you are doing? That's what John means when he says, In a manner worthy of God. You don't have to, but you would do well to send them on a manner worthy of God. So our faithfulness is measured by our generosity, not just our beliefs. That's important if we don't want to be a fair hard-hearted church family. We don't want to be that way. We do want sound doctrine, and we also want to be generous. That's part of God's design. That's part of his heart for his church. Our love is measured by our actions, not just our words. So you can say, oh, I'm saying all the right things. I'm saying all the good things. But if your actions don't back it up, you're not backed up by the New Testament. Our love is measured by our actions, not just our words. And his third point is our mission is accomplished by our support, not just our labor, meaning not just our personal labor. Do you know the way that God measures the mission that he has for the church in your life is not just based on how hard you work, it's actually based on your support. I'll show you in 3 John. In verses 7 through 8, he says, since, and this is why you should send them in a manner worthy of God, since they set out for the sake of the name, the name being Jesus, they went out in Jesus' name, accepting nothing from the pagans. I love that word, except when we're not in church. Then it's the worst word ever. But it's fun in church, because you could say pagans. The non-believers, the ones that don't believe in Jesus, the ones that are not supporting his mission. He's saying these missionaries that we ought to support, they set out for the sake of Jesus' name. They sent out for the gospel, who Jesus was and what he was doing, accepting nothing from the pagans. They wouldn't accept money from non-believers. This was not a non-profit charity so that non-believers could fund them. These Christian missionaries... By the way, when, when John wrote this letter, it was later... Uh, in the first century, which means persecution has already started. If you know anything about the history of the first century, after AD 70, when the temple fell, there was rising persecution with the Christians. When John wrote this, when, when he was telling Gaius about this, when, when the church was dispersed, like in the letter of James, when there was a big dispersion and there was persecution and the church was not able to meet just publicly, openly, without, without struggle, when that happened... There were missionaries that went to other places around the world for the sake of the name and not asking for any money from pagans. Any non-believers, they weren't getting any money from. So what John is teaching and what God is teaching us is, listen, these missionaries, don't expect them to be supported by non-believers. You are the church. You are my people. I want you to support. It's your team. We're all on this team together. We're the ones that should be supporting them, not the pagans. We shouldn't be expecting non-believers to be supporting them. And so he says in verse 8, Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we can be co-workers with the truth. Co-workers. We're on the same team. Do you want to be a laborer for the gospel? I bet you do. If you know Christ, you do. If you know Jesus, I bet you want to give your life to sharing the gospel with others. And that's good. You should. It should take personal devotion for you. You should be reaching your neighbors, your co-workers, your family members, your children. You should be making disciples in every circle that you're connected with. As much as God opens the door for the word, like Paul wrote in Ephesians, Ask God, God, would you open the door for the word? And would you give me boldness to share your gospel truth with them? We should be praying that personally. And you know what else is true? We also are building the kingdom outside of our own circles. God's design for the church is that we would be co-workers with the truth. Meaning, they need our support. And we should be supporting them because we're all on the same team. And so why do we support such people? Why would we do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God? Because they set out for the sake of the name. They're pushing the gospel forward, and they need us to come alongside them because that's God's design. That's his plan for the church. That's what he's invited you and me into, to be generous, to send them on a manner worthy of God. When I first felt called to ministry, I was 17 years old. And, of course, I didn't know the term called into ministry. I grew up in a non-Christian home, and at the time I was living outside of Detroit, Michigan. And shocking as it may be to you, Detroit, Michigan doesn't use that term. No one's called into the ministry. Uh, you get called into a cell. Uh, you get called into the office. You don't get called into the ministry. And so I went to my youth minister with my NIV student Bible, and I opened it up at a, in a passage in the book of Acts. I still remember this. It's at the end of Acts. It's where Paul is, is talking about his conversion. I open it up to Acts, and I tell Marshall, was his name, I say, Marshall, I believe this is God's calling on my life. I know it sounds crazy. I am the last person in the world to do anything good for the church. I know this. But I read Acts 26. I read how Paul was called to a people that were in darkness, to change them from darkness into light. And I opened to that page, and I told Marshall, I know that God is wanting me to do this, and I have no idea how. I feel like he wants me to take this Bible and share it with other heathen pagans like me, people with no parents, with no hope, with a ton of baggage. I believe God has called me to do what he called Paul to do with the Gentiles but I don't know what to do. And Marshall said, well, I think you might be called into the ministry. I didn't know what that was. So I asked further questions. And his next advice was, you should go to Bible college, not in Detroit, Michigan. And, uh, which was a great, great word of advice. I still am benefiting from that. I was on fire during that part of my life. Not because I knew anything, not because anybody was giving me anything. I was on fire because when God saved me, I knew how much I didn't deserve it. I knew how much I shouldn't even be saved. And I knew supernaturally, I didn't understand the theology behind this. I just knew there's no way I would have had my eyes open to Jesus on the cross If God had not intervened in my life in supernatural ways. I don't know. There was no reason for it. And, And I'm clapping for God who still calls people into ministry. He's calling them into ministry now. And after service, we get to go eat with some of our missionaries. We get to go eat with some of our mission organizations. Right after the service, we can go, and it's a potluck, which means, you know, there's going to probably be so much chicken. But anyway, there's going to be other foods too. There's going to be casseroles and chicken. I don't even know what they're going to have. I just feel like chicken's going to be one thing. Uh, they're going to have chicken. Thank you. Someone knows his mom's bringing chicken, which is awesome. Just your friend. Sorry. Okay. We're done. Okay. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> raining it back in. We, when you give to the Lord at Grace, when you give tithes and offerings, do you know over 12% of our annual budget goes to missions and mission organizations? That doesn't include all the benevolence and church planting and other things, but we give a significant portion of our church budget to missions and missionaries. When you give to God here, you support missions, and I want to encourage you to keep doing that. Keep doing that. I, I don't get any of that money. I don't want that money. The missions money, it goes to missions. Keep giving to that because God is doing missionary work out in the world, outside of Newton, and even in Newton with our crisis pregnancy center and other places. Uh, God is doing that. And I know, just like you, I have a budget. I can't give to a thousand missions like I would like to. I can't give to all of them. There's a lot of great ones out there. But you can find just one. I would just encourage you, just pick one mission organization or one missionary and just decide for this next year, this is going to be the one that I personally invest in, which means I pray for them, I write them letters, I ask them what they need, I ask them how... It doesn't mean I can give it to them. I don't have a ton of stuff, but I want to be personally involved in at least one mission. So I want to encourage you as your pastor. God's designed for you, that is full of joy, and God will supply for every need you have. Be generous with God's work in the world. Give like you normally give out of a cheerful heart to the church, and then pick at least one mission organization or missionary that you can write to, talk to them, encourage them. Missionaries need your emotional support too. It's hard being out there sometimes feeling like you're alone. When God called me into mission, in ministry, I didn't realize how much support I was going to have. And when I got to know other missionaries and find out how little support they get, it just burdened my heart. You do well in whatever you do for our brothers and sisters, because they set out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from outside of the church, but you supported them. We ought to support such people so that we could be co-workers of the truth. Let's pray. Father, we love you because you first loved us, and I'm so grateful that you called us to be your people, to reach our neighbors, to reach our community, and we get to be a part of your work in other parts of the world. It is such a joy to know that you continue to work. You continue to call people. So we pray, we lift up our missionaries uh, that are all throughout the United States and throughout the world. Uh, We've got some of them here with us this morning from Africa and other places. It's so exciting Um, and we know you love each and every one of them. So we pray, would you use us as a church family uh, that supports them in a manner worthy of you? Help us to send them out on their journey, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.